0: I think, we, as you'll see in a few minutes, when we walk through where we've been, you'll see that we've done a good job of showing that there's no contradictions, but even better than that, that the Bible actually establishes itself as the Word of God because of the scientific record of which it speaks. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Why did we spend so many weeks studying it? And there's some few unresolved questions I want to cover tonight. But I want this to kind of be a thinking night, a reflective night, We've had a lot of hard science for the last 11 weeks and it's been kind of bogging us down. So tonight's more reflective and open. Just let some of these questions kind of dwell in your mind. Maybe you don't even have to answer them, just kind of think of where they lead you. Where do we go from here? You know that I'm a big fan of carefully guarding the time that we spend in Exodus on subjects that actually make sense and that matter. That we eliminated the fluff and all that, not just because you guys asked us to, but because we really need to be serious students of the Bible and serious students of subjects that affect Christianity and allow us to witness to other people. But if we spend 11 weeks, that's a lot of time. You guys know that we spend a minimum of two hours in here on Sunday night studying. 11 weeks, that's a whole college course. If you're on the quarter or semester system somewhere, that would almost be an entire college two-unit course on science and the Bible. Why did we spend that much time? I'm hoping that you'll see it's because you now have the ability to take some of this to the world where there's a lot of misconceptions, both in the church and outside of the church, about science. And I'm hoping that you guys are equipped to do that. Go to the next slide, if you could. Kind of a walk on where we've been so far. And all of these are available on the CD, so you can pick them up. We started with analyzing what a 10-word answer is and the reason that the church lost its place in the world and lost its ability to comment on science was because it started off with a very fundamentalist approach. It started answering questions it couldn't answer with ten-word answers, slogan phrases. You remember the ones we use, like, I don't need to know the ages of rocks. I just need to know the rock of ages, right? All those kind of (laughs) stupid things. Remember that? You remember that kind of stuff? I mean, these were like the ways that the church responded to the scientific challenge until the point came where we lost our ability to even comment on it at all. If you think that this was something unique to the 1920s when that slogan was first invented, we studied the Scopes trial in detail. You saw during the debate between young earth and old earth creationists in the John Ankerberg debate, what was Dr. Ken Hovind's favorite 10-word phrase? The God I believe in, would, he would start every sentence with, is it six literal days or six eons of time? He wouldn't even ask the question. It was, well, the God I believe in wrote a Bible that anybody could understand, right? That wasn't the question. That's just a slogan you're throwing back in my face. We learned how to identify them and realize why we lost our place in the debate. We also looked at adopting, if that's the wrong way to do it, how to do it correctly. How to adopt your own scientific framework. How is it that you can test scientific theories on your own, put them against the Bible? How you can even test biblical claims? That science is testable, so are the claims of theology, and that you could do that on your own so that we could evaluate things through that lens. We spent three weeks analyzing the John Ankerberg debate, listening to the arguments on both sides. I think by the time we were done, it's a fair statement that there wasn't a, a young earth creationist left among us after that debate was over. In fairness, there are still good arguments that the young earth creationists make. We analyzed and some gave them some points here and there. We've got to be fair a little bit, just a little bit. We spent time analyzing Noah's flood. Was it really a global flood or a local flood? Some of you are still wondering why we did that, why we even spent two weeks on that topic. And that's because first, so much of the young earth science comes from flood theory, so we had to kind of show that that really didn't work out so well. But also because there's so many people, and this began our transition into understanding that there isn't just a debate in the church about young earth or old earth. Analyzing Noah's flood gave us for the first time an understanding of how secular geologists looked at Christianity. How if they just read the Bible the way the young earth creationists were asking that even secular geologists would say, you know what, I just can't believe in that book. It says things that I just can't understand. It makes impossible statements about geology that could never come true. So we introduce the secular world now into the debate a little bit more. Now we're not just looking at young earth, old earth, but we're looking at young earth, old earth, and how non-Christians look at science in the Bible. Very important topic we covered about Genesis 1 through 11. You guys know that many churches still to this day advocate that Genesis 1 through 11 is is meant to be interpreted as a myth. Or loosely. Or that you can't just take it literally. And these are Bible-believing Christians, they would say about any other part of the Bible. But that one part, we just can't take literally. We walk through Genesis 1 through 11, at least in brief, and as I told you, if you want to walk through in detail, read this one, the Genesis question. Walks through every chapter, chapter by chapter, to explain how you can take it literally and how the science actually supports it, something that we needed to know. If you didn't come for this one, The Heavens Declare, I highly suggest you pick up that CD. Because now we're finally in a position where we could say, not only does the Bible stand up to scientific scrutiny, we started analyzing how the Bible predicted scientific discoveries that it could not have known at the time. We started talking about how the heavens themselves declare the glory of the Lord. That's found in the Psalms, but we actually looked at it scientifically. How science, the universe, everything about it, not only points to who God is, But how the Bible points right back and predicts scientific discoveries that wouldn't happen for thousands of years, self authenticating the Bible, showing that the Bible is unique among books written in its detail about science, in its accuracy, and of course, in its ability to predict things that nobody could have known without the hand of God guiding the writers. We spent a couple of brief moments on the failings of evolution. You guys know that I'm not a big proponent of just bashing evolution. We all know it's probably bogus after we've walked through it. If you don't believe me, read some of the books by Philip Johnson. The theory itself can't sustain itself, not because I say so, not because Christian fundamentalists say so, but because the scientists who believe in evolution themselves say so. The biggest secret in the scientific community is those scientists who are at the forefront of evolution have a crisis on their hands. They can't justify the theory any longer. So now we're looking at outer space, trying to find if there's some other life in the universe that started life on Earth because we know it couldn't have started on Earth by itself. So I'll at least give them a point and say, well, at least they realize that there's, it's got to come from somewhere. They just refuse to believe it comes from God. So the two leading theories are either the universe is expanding and contracting contract, you know, constantly, multiple big bangs over hundreds and hundreds of billions of years until you finally get one that works out, or the current theory of life in outer space somehow impregnated life on Earth. <laughs> hey, I'm not telling you that I, in my little brain at New Song Church, you know, in the year 2005, can conclusively rule that out. But I am telling you that it seems a lot more probable that God created the universe than that theory. I'm not smart enough to tell you there was no aliens, you know, in space and it couldn't have happened. But we haven't found it so far, and there's a lot more evidence in the Bible that God created the universe than that aliens did because the question would still be who created the aliens. So that's why I don't bash evolution because it's falling apart on its own. The only thing I want you guys to know tonight as we talk about it is that every day in states across the nation they're trying to pass legislation that allows people to criticize evolution in the classroom and those efforts are getting rejected because it seems that evolution is at least neutral in its religious stance. So therefore, they're letting it be taught. And I read in one article this week that was saying, what happens when a science teacher in a high school science class, someone raises their hand and goes, well, wait a minute, isn't it true that the top evolutionists are saying that mathematically it's improbable? They actually have, like, responses for the teacher. And the teacher's supposed to say, you'll need to take that up with your parents or your priest as if your parents or your priests have any idea what they're talking about when it comes to that. But that they can't really even make a response because then the class is going to grind to a halt. They're going to start talking about the problems with evolution and then the whole thing kind of falls apart and how would you get your grade in genetics part of biology if that ground to a halt. Last week we covered the testimony of the skeptics. Last week we covered the number of people who if they, when they were challenged to investigate the claims of Christianity or when they set out to disprove Christianity, became Christians. And that was just to kind of put some parameters around the debate of why we're studying science kind of brings us to where we are tonight. I know that during this whole series there have been people who've said, you know what, I don't need to know this. I don't need to know anything about science. I believe in Jesus, and that's the end of it. That's good. It comes close to a 10-word answer, by the way. But there are people who, who don't need this. But there are a lot of people who do, both in the church and outside of the church. There are some of us who've been bothered since we were little kids about how the dinosaurs were part of Noah's Ark, or were they not, or did they come before, or where were they? Okay. And there are certainly people who do not believe in Jesus, who do not believe in God, who still want to know the answer as a prerequisite. And that's the reason we spent so long on it. Okay? I feel like that's a good reason. Let's go to the next slide. But some questions remain. And that's what I want to wrap up tonight. Many people already believe in God or a God of sorts. Okay, So even if we're able to establish that the scientific record does not contradict the existence of God, but actually supports the existence of God, how do we know which God exists? What I want to close off tonight after we've spent all this time talking about Genesis and God and creating the world if it's really true that if you walk through all the CDs that you have and you listen to all the talks we had that you would come to the conclusion that you know what the most probable result is that God is there he really did create the universe just like it says and now I understand where everything fits into place over all those eons of time that God took to create the place here's the question how does that have anything to do with Christianity and the claims of Jesus Christ can you extrapolate from the creation being true and God being there to know which God? How do we know that it wasn't Buddha who created the whole world? How do we know that it's not the God of Islam, for example, who seems very similar to our God sometimes? How do we know that it has anything to do with Christianity? I mean, say you've got a doubting friend and you walk them through all this great science and they go, wow, that's amazing. Maybe God did really create the universe, but God with a little g. Because I'm not sure you've established to me that it has anything to do with the God of Christianity. No one care to respond? Well, I would say that um, all the information that I just showed, it, showed you is from the Bible, and the Bible has been true so far. So perhaps Jesus is the be... Okay, so the biblical claims establish that the first part of the Bible are true, yeah. so why not believe the rest of the book? Okay, Josh? The, um, Christianity is the only religion that claims and when talking about Jesus, Jesus is a God outside of time and space that went into time and space, and he created it. There's other religions that have ideas that these gods or God created earth, but there's no idea of time and space actually being created, and that's in the New Testament. Okay, and did everybody hear that? Basically Christianity is unique in its in its claim that there is a God who's outside of time and space, who's intervening and acting to create all this and which is exactly by the way what scientists have discovered. That there has to be an intervening force or some creative force outside of time and space because even secular scientists admit now that time and space were both created and all matter in them, they're just not sure by who. And that goes back to Stephen Hawking in 1973, he believes that, so he just doesn't believe in God. I think you could take those two answers and combine them with two answers that we've looked at. I think that if you're gonna say first of all, we talked about the authentication of the Bible, that the Bible can self-authenticate itself, not because it says all scripture is profitable for, you no, know, because it predicts things that will occur outside of the Bible, all of which occur. It predicts scientific discoveries that are not discovered till very later. It makes statements about events that will happen that all come true, and because you can't find a contradiction in it anywhere against the scientific record. Okay? The more we learn about science, the more the Bible becomes a brilliant book that can only be inspired by God. So using Angela's idea, if you're gonna believe the beginning of it, which is, seems to be the wackier version, at least scientifically, then as you go forward and start, it turns into a history book and then later becomes a story about Jesus, why wouldn't you follow that through all the way? Okay, so it's, it's an argument. Josh's point comes in and adds to that, which is the Bible is unique and so is God's role in it the way he's described exactly the way science is discovering him to be. Again, kind of like somebody who's leaving us a clue that this is the right one. And then you can add all the other things that we know about the Bible, about how correctly it's been interpreted, all the prophecies that have come true, and you keep going and you think, you know what, it really does lead to one religion that makes this claim, and all the others seem to make another claim. Think of all the religions that were man either is existing or the gods are like former or something or another. I mean, there's always some other version of it that comes nothing close to a book that begins with the first word saying, in the beginning, God created space, time, matter, basically. it's really what it says. And then goes through and nails down the order of all the creation events in the right order within the first chapter that science will only perfect as time goes on in the 20th century. Okay? So I think that's a good conclusion that we are at least headed in the right direction. Okay, go to the next slide. Here's another question that's come up during our series. You're kind of hodgepodge tonight, but I want to address them. A couple of you guys have brought up the issue of miracles, okay? If we're going to explain everything through science, does that leave any room for miracles? Can miracles actually exist, or is there just another scientific explanation for them? Hear me on this. We're not saying just because the Bible can be reconciled with science, that there are no miracles in the Bible. I didn't say that. If you heard that in the conversation, that wasn't meant to be there, okay? What we were doing was showing that the creation events reconcile with science perfectly. That everything we discover about science seems to tell us more about God, who, of course, created the universe, so that's really what the study of science is about. That God sometimes allows natural processes to just kind of function, I don't think that God every day gets up and puts the stars where they are. I think he allows gravity to keep the universe kind of moving and doing what it does. But does God sometimes bend the rules? Can there be room for miracles? What do you guys think? I mean, I think you guys know what the Bible says. What do you think? Yeah, no virgin birth in science, right? What else? What's another miracle that you think has to be somehow bending the rules? Parting the sea. That's a good one that you bring that up. Let's talk about that because first we need to define what a miracle is. What do you guys think a miracle is? Yeah, something outside of, something outside of the natural. Okay. Supernatural. All right, let's do this. We've done this before. We've had a talk on miracles before. Let's wind it in here. You're on your way to work. You got to go down side streets. There are 30 signals on the way to work. You're totally late. You're so busted. If you're late one more time, you're fired. And you go, God, please help me. And like all 30 signals are green. I mean, you're just flying through all of them. Is that a miracle? Why not? Is that a coincidence? I'm asking you, is that a miracle? How many people say that is conclusively a miracle? Conclusively. Five. How many people think there's no way that could be a miracle? Three. How many people think it's just not possible to tell? Or we to say that God is not going to intervene on All right. Here's the, here's the struggling point. If by random chance... I mean, is it possible that all 30 signals could be green by random chance? It's possible. If if it's possible by random chance, then I think in fairness, and you could push back on this. I don't know where your theology is, but in fairness, God could have just laid back and just said, you know what, I don't care if you're late or not. Get up earlier. All right. I mean, not everything in our lives. Now, this is a controversial statement, so just... not everything in our God is not he's not the puppeteer of of you getting to work on time but maybe he is so the thing is can you conclusively say no unless you asked him of course could God intervene with all the little computers that are going on and make them all green yes when it happens and you get through them all and you get to work you can still thank God but do you know if he did it or if it just worked out that way Like, for example, if one of them turned red halfway through, do you just turn around and go, God, or do you just, I mean, you probably do it, but do you really imply that God did that? Or is it just like, I mean, do you think God must not exist? I got a red light. Because I asked for all green. I mean, this is not Bruce Almighty. So the whole idea is, Chris. Chris. Okay, let's take cancer as an example. Somebody diagnoses you with cancer, and the next day you wake up without it. Is that possible? Yes. Is there an explanation for it? Yeah. Just because the well, do you, think, do you think there's any possible... Let me ask you when you say, is it possible? Is that possible outside of God's intervention? Yes. I, I, I don't know. I would say, if you're asking me, if I was sitting in your shoes, I'd say... No, not unless there's something about cancer that we, as as biologists in the world, have not discovered yet. Normally, if it's there one day and it's not there the next day, yeah. but you've introduced, but you've introduced something that was not in his hypothetical. What you did was you changed the hypothetical. What Susanna's introducing is it's something different? It's it's you're introducing the concept of treatment. We haven't gotten there yet. What I'm saying is, before we introduce treatment, let's just start with: we know a person who has cancer. Everything that to- that we know about biology and whatever that area of medicine is called, oncology, whatever it is, tells us that it should be there the next day. Okay, she goes to a prayer healing. Everybody's all over the place. You know, we're handling snakes and drinking cyanide, wiggling around in the aisles, and she goes back the next day and she's healed. All right. My sense would be that's a miracle because something has altered the physical, but we don't, and unless, like I said, unless there's something about cancer, we don't know. This just happens randomly to one in every 20 people, okay? But let's add treatment to this situation. Let's add treatment. What happens when somebody undergoes chemo and it works? Is that a miracle or is that just, what do you call that, Josh? It could be God predestined when he was, so God very well could have naturally made it So you would have got that cure in time. Let's let's bring this a little bit to a head, all right? Let's bring this to a point here. First, I think Josh has a point that God does leave us with the ability, with minds, things on this planet, plants we may not have even discovered, minerals, herbs, whatever it is, to create medicines and to heal one another. And God, by his providence, has given us those things. And God may even will it that a certain patient meet a certain doctor who's come up with a great cure and that person will live. And that's possible. But when we're talking about miracles, there's two features to it that you should always be looking for. One is God generally sends miracles when they have a purpose. As Eric was kind of alluding to, there's an annunciation of something. Remember most of Jesus's ministry, if you look at it, was not a miracle ministry or healing ministry. In fact, you almost had to challenge Jesus to get him to pull off a miracle. Okay. It was oftentimes he was found to do miracles when somebody would say, "What's easier, that I heal this person or that I forgive their sins?" You challenging my authority? All right, get up and walk. All right, or let me send a signal to these five thousand people that we're going to all eat here. Like something big was going on. If Jesus was primarily a miracle doer, then he would have just walked around going. He didn't do that. He very sparingly used whatever power he had. You know? What I'm saying is there seemed to be a purpose to it. There was a reason. And that's why a lot of people believe, which I don't, but a lot of people believe that miracles died in the apostolic age, that there are no true miracles anymore because the purpose of spreading the word is kind of done. I don't believe that, but some people do. But the second part I think you guys need to identify is it seems to have to defy just the odds or just that the treatment worked or it didn't. It seems to be that you can look at a miracle and say, that's a miracle not when a plane crashes and you know 99 people die and one person survives the odds are possible that could happen now you may say God allowed that to happen I agree God could use that we're going to come back to Wes's example in just a second about the Red Sea because I haven't forgotten about that but if the plane crashes into a mountain all right and everybody survives that still is possible I mean we read weird stories all the time What I'm saying is, if the plane crashes a mountain, they find out there was nobody on board because everybody just got picked up off it and (laughs) landed in safety, that's probably a miracle because the laws of physics were altered in some way. When a blind person can't see because their optic nerve is damaged and they come back and it's working, that's probably an intervention to the laws of physics that changed that around, okay? Again, assuming no treatment of any kind. Wes? Well, that's one of the reasons we bring it up because some people think that now we're in this part where we can show scientifically that that God might actually be there, Not, you know, but by showing that that we're getting to the point where we're eliminating miracles and I think that we still have to define miracles in such a way that they're beyond the scope and they're beyond the reach of even that. Now, let's take the Red Sea example for a second. Most of the research about the Red Sea miracle these days is that if you blow a wind at a certain angle, at a certain mile per hour, okay, at a place okay it, it just to blow. that you could actually part the Red Sea and this is the thing that we talked about I think it was probably about nine months ago that two that a Russian and a German mathematician both secular decided to see if they could recreate the Red Sea miracle and they did the computer modeling they showed that it was totally possible everything about the story fits the science and you only needed a, a wind of about 60 miles an hour blowing at a certain angle a certain place that you could recreate the miracle perfectly is that a miracle Here's the thing that you have to look at. There are different types of, I think, miracles. God can use natural forces, because we designed miracles to maybe something that's outside of the natural forces, but God can also direct natural forces to do something. In that particular example, I think that if you're going to say, how did you get 40 days and 40 nights of water in a desert? Okay, well, it's not impossible you could have rain, but God might have just made rain come down if he wanted to, all right, and kept rain coming down. In the Red Sea miracle, he may have directed the winds to go in a certain direction and just hold it there long enough for the Israelites to walk through and then yank it right out. Okay? Yes. The reason you want to affirm the power of miracles is because you couldn't be a secular person who could say, you know, the Bible is just a book of history, and it just so happened to record this one unbelievable crossing across the Red Sea, and these idiots believe there's a God because this happened, but I can show scientifically why it happened. So the fact that, like, back then, the random chance of billions and billions of people who are about to get slaughtered, one group of people showed up to the water, thought they were about to get slaughtered, the seas part, and those idiots believe in God? And so the rest of us have to believe in Jesus and God because some scientific anomaly occurred. And that's why I'm saying, like, we cannot deny the power of miracles through scientific investigation. And even if science were to explain a miracle like the Red Sea parting, what you have to see behind the scenes, I think, is first, God is probably involved in that miracle. And second of all, you have to show that there are some miracles that just can't be explained. And that really is what gives God back his majesty, is that you say hey, I could explain some of them scientifically. I could use random chance to explain the 30 red, you know, the 30 green lights on the way to work. But I can't explain Lazarus rising from the dead. I can't explain that woman going to the doctor the next day with no cancer. And that gives God back his magic. says, you could use any science you want. We can only get us so far. And that's really my overall point. Science, as great as we want to make it tonight, or all the last 11, 12 weeks that we spent on it, can only take us so far in the equation. There are people who will not believe in God until you resolve the scientific issues for them. There are people who could care less about the scientific issues because they already believe in God. And there are people who, no matter what you show them, will never believe in God. But you have to split the pie into those different regions and realize that some of you and some of the people you know will love Jesus regardless of the science. Some will hate him no matter what you show them. And some do need the science to help them get over the hurdle. But in all three of those categories, give God his due. He's still a miracle worker that goes above science. And I don't want anything that we studied in 12 weeks of science to take anything away from God in this one regard. That science is not going to explain how Jesus rose from the dead. Science is not going to explain the virgin birth, as Josh said. But I just wanted to point out that some things may be random chance, some things may be natural causes, and people will try to attribute those things. Good. But there are some things that you just can't take away from them. Look, we pasteurize all our milk today, right? Remember when that was the biggest problem that people had, right? Today we get tetanus shots. Remember when that was a big problem? We get shots for polio. Remember when that was a problem? I think God works through those people and allows treatments to occur. And I think we just have to be careful because I guess on the one hand, we have some people who think everything's a miracle. You know, like any time you get the 30 green lights, you're like, miracle, miracle this, miracle that, miracle I got this. And then I got people on the other side, and I didn't want to give you fuel through this science series who believe nothing's a miracle. Everything's going to be explained scientifically. I think that's both two extremes that, are, that miss the point. My question specifically is, do you think God would create science and nature and then and why? But I, let me answer Angela's question. First of all... We've defined science as the discovery of God's characteristics in nature, right? We've defined science as the ability to discover who God is. And that's why they should be consistent. That God's revelation in the Bible should be consistent with man's discovery of God in physical nature. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right? But two points need to be made about God. And a lot of people believe that God could have been like the watchmaker who winds it up and lets it go. But that's why I want to point out that in the two types of interventions we've discussed that God is not an absentee landlord over this world. Number one is, even in the miracles that can be explained scientifically, like 40 days of rain, a parting of the Red Sea, that God is actively active behind his creation to direct some outcome. He's not necessarily bending the rules too far or violating them, but at that point, he's using things to direct, okay? At the same time, I do believe that he will violate the laws of his own creation to show his power or for his purposes, okay? I mean, the man was born blind. What was the purpose of healing him in that moment? It was so he could show his authority to forgive sin or it was so he could show his authority to to be identified as the master or Lord, okay? Now, you take that, we know biblically what that reason is in our everyday lives when miracles happen, we don't always know. Okay, but I do believe it's always in some way to go back to showing his majesty or for his purposes in our lives. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's move on and look at an example. Okay, you guys know the story of Joshua's long day? Do you guys remember that when we first started our series on science, one of the big questions at the Scopes trial that, that, that was asked of William Jennings Bryan when he took the stand as an expert was, do you believe the biblical account of how Joshua held up the sun? And Clarence Darrow is really trying to drive a point home here like this, of all the miracles, is clearly the goofiest because we know that the Earth rotates around the sun and we know that the whole solar system is in rotation within a galaxy. You're telling me that at one point in time, because a guy said, let's stop this whole thing for a second, the universe just went, yip. This would be quite a miracle. And I use this because I want to show the difference between scientific explanation and miracles for a moment. Okay, here's what it says. And I'll read it to you because it's kind of hard. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. You guys remember that this is when they're cleaning out the promised land for their own uses. All right. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it was written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Story pretty simple. Joshua is not done slaughtering the enemy. He wants to finish it off and the sun is going down. So what does he say? I got a great idea. Let's just stop all of the natural processes in the entire universe, put the sun right where it is while I finish slaughtering the enemy. In the Scopes trial, that was asked, can that be possible? All right. Now, we've been studying all of the things that seem like they contradict science in the Bible. We did not study this one. Okay. And one of the reasons we didn't study it is because I've yet to find a good reason for this one. Okay? I've yet to find a good answer that explains this one scientifically. Because even the best of scientists that I regard trying to, on the forefront of Christian apologetics and even Dr. Ross does not have a satisfactory answer to this question. Because this doesn't seem to just be like, oh, oh yeah, let me explain to you. See, the Hebrew word for day and sun, it's not one of those, okay? This is clear. The sun has to stop for about a day. In the sky, violating all of the laws of physics in the universe. How does that happen? You have a comment? I do remember, and I don't remember how or what, but I did read in a Bible class where it says, how like some scientists actually found that there's no account, but somewhere, somehow, there's like an extra day. Right. So it's like, Let's talk about happened? the extra day. When NASA was trying to launch some of its satellites to go explore the solar system in, in the 1960s and 70s, they had to do a lot of very precise calculations of the solar system. And of course, they measure things in time and years and all this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, lo and behold, they found out that there was a missing 23 hours and 20 minutes that nobody can account for. Man, this was like big news in the Christian community. Everybody was running Left and right, because finally the miracle of Joshua's son has been established. But there's a missing 40 minutes, by the way. And in one of the books of the Bible, one of the signs that God says, I can't remember the king, he says, Go look at the sundial. I'll make it move back 40 minutes as a sign that I'm with you. All right? There's the extra 40 minutes. All right? Man, isn't God amazing? He's, He's meticulous down to the detail. 23 hours and 20 minutes the NASA scientist found missing. The other 40 minutes are in the book of Isaiah or some book somewhere. I'm gonna find it for you, but before you go rush out to tell your friends about it, here's the problem. Uh-uh. uh-uh. A problem. The problem is that's a really doubtful story. That story was retracted later and then it wasn't retracted, and then it was, and a lot of people said that the scientist said it, he didn't say it. The scientist wasn't really a scientist, he was just an engineer who worked on the project. It went back and forth. And then the real bomb that hit this guy was it turned out that like 60 years earlier, somebody had reported the same exact story in another book and published it somewhere. So it was like really doubtful did the guy get the story from there, didn't hear. And no one today, if you ask NASA, hey, how those 23 hours and 20 minutes doing? They were like, we don't know what you're talking about. Now, of course, NASA, they can lose satellites without any help. So they don't really need accurate measurements, obviously, you know. So was there a scientific finding? So the bottom line is, right now, the whole scientific explanation for Joshua's day is in doubt among the Christian community because most people who have an intelligent brain say, you know what, that story is highly suspect even though it came from a well-meaning Christian. Here's the point. Two things to challenge your belief tonight. One is there may be some things we are just not smart enough to figure out scientifically yet. While the books that I read and went through with you guys over the last 11 or 12 weeks show some amazing discoveries and show that the Bible is amazingly accurate in a lot of ways, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to have every answer. Let's not ever confuse our knowledge with God's knowledge and the ability to understand His creation. And second of all, we're talking about miracles tonight because no matter how much you understand science, and use the 11 weeks that we just had to understand everything about it, but tonight understand that there will be some things you'll never understand, that maybe this is just a miracle. Maybe there is no explanation Maybe God wants to stop the universe and all the laws of physics for an hour, 24 hours, whatever it takes, to allow Joshua to do what he wants to do. I know that if you read the texts of ancient civilizations, all of them seem to report that there was this one day in history that seemed to last forever. Most mythologies, ancient, especially the Chinese mythology, seem to record a day that lasted so long they thought the earth was going to burn. So maybe it's consistent that it really did happen. We know the Bible is true. It doesn't lie. So we know for us it did happen. The question is, are we going to be able to explain it scientifically with another Hugh Ross book? Or maybe do we just say, you know what? There actually may be some things in the Bible that really are miracles. And this is one of them. That not the entire Old Testament is going to be subject to scientific scrutiny. That every once in a while you're going to say, hey, you know what? There may be a scientific explanation why the walls of Jericho fell in the way they said in the Bible. And some people might say, oh, yeah, if you got a bunch of people and you all yelled, the sound wave would just make the whole wall come down. Maybe it's just a miracle. Maybe God does do miracles even in the Old Testament. When they dug up the archaeology of Jericho, by the way, you know, the Old Testament kind of society, they just built one city on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. They found that curiously, every one of the walls fell a certain way when the city was destroyed, except the one seem to correspond in time to the biblical story so we know the story is true we just don't know why a bunch of people yelling around the walls of Jericho made the wall fall down and like I said you might be able to someday have an explanation like the Red Sea story and explain it and say oh yeah now we figured out the physical qualities of waves of sound and all this stuff could literally bring down walls or you could just say hey our God is greater I guess I'll know the answer when I go to heaven so here's the question is there anything that science can't do yes Here's what science cannot do. Science cannot replace the Holy Spirit. You could read these books and it'll amaze you about how how the Bible is accurate, how the Bible is true, but it won't replace the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that only the Holy Spirit can convict our hearts to really come to a knowing faith in Christ. It will not replace that. Science will not replace love, by the way. If you're one of these people standing on the street corner in Old Town Pasadena with the big sign that says homosexuality is a sin, you're one of those guys? The big judgmental guys? You're expecting to judge people into the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) You could be as scientifically knowing as you want. People will not even stop to talk to you. It will not replace love. It will not replace miracles. It will not replace the need for Christ. It will not replace the need for accountability. It will not replace the need for you to read your Bible, to pray, to speak to God, to have a relationship with Him, to seek forgiveness. It will certainly not replace your decision personally in your life to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Everything we've studied for 11 weeks is a tool. It's a tool to help people who will not believe in Christ or will not believe in God until their doubts about science are at least addressed. And that may be a third of all people. Maybe it's a quarter of all people. But it's an important enough group of all people that we spend 12 weeks on it. But it's not going to be a coverall for everybody. God bless those people who know nothing about science and still believe in Jesus. Isn't that what he said? He said, blessed are those who will believe and who have not seen. There'll be some people who will just be that way, and you know what? Thank God, you won't have to get in all these deep discussions. And then there'll be some people that you sit next to at the coffee shop, right, who need to know, who want to know, because they can't believe in a God who would murder. They can't believe in a God who would allow Joshua to continue slaughtering. They can't believe in a God who would pardon a child molester on the last days of his life. They can't believe in a God who treats all sin as equal. They can't believe in a God who would forgive this or forgive that. Or they can't believe in a God who sends someone to hell. And they got all these problems where they can't believe in God. But maybe at least you can find common ground on something where they might at least learn the Bible a little bit more accurate than they originally thought. So science can't do it all. But flip the question around. What can science do? You guys were caught without an answer for a long time. We talked about this in our first meeting about the Scopes trial. We are caught without an answer. When people put the question to us and they say, where did Cain get his wife? Where do the dinosaurs fit into the whole creation event? What about this Neanderthal caveman thing that I keep hearing about? How could the flood cover the whole earth? There's not enough water to cover the whole earth. Where did it come from? What about these ancient civilizations that had burial rites? How could man only be 6,000 years old when the Chinese societies go back 10,000? Where are the answers to these questions? I hope that at least now you guys have some. And if you don't know where the rest of them are, they're in the books right here. In the New Song Library right over there. And the answer to any question you don't know is always, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I know I can find it. Would you listen to me if I found the answer and at least offered it back to you? Would you at least continue the discussion until i found an answer because i know somebody has an answer i doubt there's any new doubters under the sun that have come up with a new question especially at the places you guys are frequenting right people have people can be lazy these days with their questions because we're not even answering the easy ones where do we go from here you guys have walked through this long series what do we do next here's some last questions to think about have we covered all the science in the bible no We haven't even come close. I told you that it took a lot for me to offer 12 weeks on this topic because I think that that's a whole semester's worth of material. But I think there's other things we have to move on and talk about. But we haven't even come close to scratching the surface. Most of the science in the Bible, by the way, is not in Genesis. It's actually in other places in the Bible. There are so many different creation accounts that are given extra place in the Bible other than Genesis. We're not going to walk through them all. Have we covered all the questions about seeming scientific contradictions? Nope. There are more of them. If you come up with some, I can point you to a book about them, or we can talk about them. Have we resolved the issues that divide the church? I wish that this group was the council. (laughs) All right? You guys are eminently reasonable. I wish that this group was the council on the church division over young earth, old earth creationism. That I could present the evidence to you like a lawyer and then you guys could vote like a jury. All right, jury goes out for a while. You guys can deliberate and come back and go. We've made a decision. Dr. Hoven is in jail. The God I worship. From now on, every statement in church has to begin with the God I believe in, the God I worship, the God I know. with that accent, because that gives you the authority. We We have not come close to healing the divide in the church, but here's what you can do. Remember that we cannot show up to the debate in the secular world until we get our own house in order. Do you know why the book that was written about the Scopes trial was called Inherit the Wind? Why was the play called Inherit the Wind? Does anybody know the verse from the Bible that they were quoting? because I don't. (laughs) But I do know what the verse is. The verse is from Proverbs, I believe, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. That play was about the church grappling with its fundamentalist roots, giving 10-word answers, and finally being hit on the face so hard that it couldn't get up. There's a punchline that I never told you about the Scopes trial. You guys remember that I told you that William Jennings Bryan, three-time presidential guy who defended the Christian point of view, he went to the Scopes trial and Clarence Darrow beat him up so badly at the trial. Do you guys know that three days, four days, maybe it was five after the trial, Williams Jennings Bryan died. That trial literally killed him. He just died out of exhaustion and a heart attack. He just went to sleep after losing the trial and died. It's kind of a weird ending to the trial, but I think along with his death came the big knockout blow. I mean, I think Clarence Darrow hit Christianity with such a knockout blow in that trial that not only did we figuratively We're still reeling from it. But the guy who was defending Christianity in that fundamentalist stand literally got knocked out and died. But why was it called inherit the wind? Because he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Today the church continues for over 90 years to trouble its own house. We're divided. A house divided will what? Fall. And we inherited the wind. Okay, Because we still have people debating in the church, young earth, old earth, calling each other heretics pointing fingers at each other, you can't be a Christian because you believe in this or you believe in that. Meanwhile, they're preaching evolution, which we know is even more laughable than either of the positions. All right? I mean, I know the young earth creationist point of view, in my opinion, is just like, just you might as well just be telling comedy, right? But it's still better than evolution. All right, last question. Are we finished with our series on science? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. It's a lawyer's answer. It depends. Number one, We are never done with any series we cover in Exodus because they're too important. And because they all interlink together, we're not studying things in a vacuum, all right? In a way, we're still studying from our series on witnessing eons ago. We will still be studying on our series in heaven and why God sends people to hell. We will still be studying on science for the next couple of years because it's not over. But formally, we're done talking about this topic and I'm so exhausted. We're going to move on to something better. Let's close our time like this. First, thanks for hanging in for all the people who did um, for this whole talk on it. And if you're just joining us and you're interested by what we've talked about, that's why we tape them. Don't feel bad. You can pick up every one of them. Give them to friends. Spread the word. We can be worshipful tonight in this way. When we talked about the heavens declaring the majesty of the Lord, I don't think we could overemphasize that in any way. I'm glad that we get to sing those phrases and the songs that we sing because I I know that we've made God into the big scientist that he is, and that's brilliant, but I think we should never forget how much bigger he is than just that, you know, and how much he loves each and every one of us for what we did. I mean, for life to survive on this small planet, he created the entire universe and all the laws of physics and science to uphold just life on a tiny little planet, you know, for us to be with him in heaven forever, he created life and let us live it on this earth and exercise our free will so he could figure out which one of us really wanted to be with him forever. He's a great God. He's a majesty, but I think we need to remember him tonight as king also and creator and give him full due. So let's pray for a moment. I'm going to leave some time open for silence for you guys to dwell on some of those things as we talk, and then we'll close, hang out a little bit tonight. We're getting out early, which is good. We can kind of hang out and have some fun. It's been a long series. Let's go from there. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you because you are the author of life, and the creator of time, space, matter, and everything else. Lord, with the awesome powers that you have, you chose to create life on earth for your own purposes. And because you loved us, you decided that you would create mankind who was sure and destined to to just disappoint you and turn his back on you. And Lord, from the beginnings of time, you knew you had that choice to just not create mankind, to go on with the angels and let them just magnify your glory forever. You could have created a universe that had no one in it, no one to question you, no one to turn their back on you, and yet you chose to create. Just as you are three in one, Lord, you are already in a relationship and you still sought to be in a relationship with us. And Lord, I thank you because each one of us has had an opportunity to hear your words And whether or not we've been here for this series on science, every single person in this room has had a choice to make, Lord, that you've given, whether it was handed down tonight or in any other night, to be yours and to be purchased by your blood so that we could live with you forever. And you've given us that choice even right now, Lord, even I lay it at your feet right now. There may be people who've never even made that choice, and yet, Lord, the choice is upon them now at this hour to just simply lay aside their pride and their sin and ask forgiveness and to say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that with your blood, I'll be forgiven of all sins, Lord, that you will stand in my place on the day of judgment and I will receive no judgment, but only the eternal kingdom of heaven. Lord, we just take a moment to reflect on the type of love that must be there, the type of majesty that must be there to create all of this and give us a chance to participate in it, Lord. Lord, the heavens declare the glory of the works of your hand, We have gotten just a glimpse of those in these last weeks. I pray we not become high-minded in our knowledge and always be respectful of the fact that we have just scratched the surface. But Lord, at the same time that we take seriously the responsibility you've given us to have a reason for the hope that is in us. Lord, it's a commandment that you've given us to have a reason for that hope and to share it with other people as your great commission tells us. Lord, we do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. We may be nothing more than someone who plants a seed, but let us not be found wanting for an answer. Let us step up boldly to the task of taking your word to other people. And thank you, Lord, that there are people who are blessed enough that do not need to know a thing about science to believe in you and worship you and call you Lord. But at the same time, Lord, in an ever-increasing world that wants to know the reasons, I know we will encounter those who need to know what we've learned here. And I pray that you would bring those things to mind. I pray that you would keep our minds fresh and at least give us the courage to admit when we don't know and give us the discipline to go find out the reasons that we should know. We pray all these things in your name, Lord, thanking us for the appointment that you brought us here tonight with, and thanking you for opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your Holy Spirit. Amen.